Amen. Good morning to you. I'm glad to see your smiling faces. Do you remember where we started this about uh, seven weeks ago? It was me, Ecclesiastes 1, and now here we are just a few weeks later, Ecclesiastes 12. And it's been a journey, yes? I've had some conversations with people about Ecclesiastes and uh, positive ones, people that have felt like it's been very timely. And so I thought I would just, for those of you that may have missed it or missed certain weeks of it, I would encourage you to go back, check the website, listen to ones you may have missed to to get the whole package. But what we've been experiencing is we've been kind of with Solomon or the teacher, we believe it was Solomon, who has been on this quest for meaning in his life under the sun. In other words, in this physical existence, his search for uh, meaning, real, uh, real substantive meaning uh, for his life. And this has come uh, some from his own personal experience and some from his observations of other people's experience. And, and so Solomon has laid out for us basically the futility, the meaninglessness, that there's nothing that we can really grab onto securely in this life that is going to give meaning or hope outside of a relationship with God. And so that that substantive meaning in our life is never going to be found on the horizontal level between us as as human beings or with things that we can grasp onto in this in this physical life outside of making sure that we have a vertical relationship, a vertical connection with God and that then provides meaning for the rest of our life. And so I don't know, I, I went back through some of my notes, and if you, those of you that have maybe had a chance to hear all, most if not all of the, the messages, I want you to reflect back and, and see if there's a particular nugget from Ecclesiastes that sticks out to you. Because I kind of went through my notes this week, and, and I landed on a couple things that really stuck out to me. But there may be a, there may be a highlight or two that, that you can think back on, but we've heard things like, our trust should be in our unchanging God rather than our changing circumstances. That was a good one. Uh, there was this. We have one shot at life. Choose joy. That was a good one. We need to develop the kind of faith that can withstand the life that Solomon is describing here. That was a, that was a good one. There may be another highlight that, that you have, but there have been, along the way, there have been meaningful Nuggets, I'm sure, to grasp onto, and maybe your life has paralleled in one way or another, has paralleled what Solomon is even talking about, or you can reflect back at your own life, and, and it's very relevant uh, to you. So this morning, I can tell you, here's, here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear these three things. Death is inevitable. God can be trusted, and the sooner that we recognize this, the better. That's where we're going today. So we're looking at the, the last words of the teacher. We believe it to be Solomon that are recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have a Bible this morning, pull it out. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is where we're at. And this is what the teacher has to say, beginning at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 12. He says, remember your creator... In the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. 
Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and the desire no longer is stirred, the man goes to his eternal home and and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. So you could go back to chapter 1, look at chapter 1, verse 1 or 2. He says the very same thing we just read there at the end. Meaningless. Thanks, Peter, Pastor Peter, for giving me these two uplifting uh, portions of Ecclesiastes to empower you with. Actually, the whole thing is pretty challenging uh, as, we, as we walk through this. Meaningless, the teacher says. So let's look at this. Chapter 12. Death is inevitable. As I, re- as I reflected on this, I-, I thought of things like, you know, what do you want people to say at your funeral? Stuff like that. Because, you know, you're going to die. So I pulled up some pictures of some gravestones I thought were pretty clever. So here's one of them. I just thought, I gotta, I'm going to preface this by saying I don't know if these are like legit or not, but I thought, how awesome, you know, I told you I was sick, you know, that sounds like something like a grandparent would say just as they're, anyway, here's another one, this one is um, I, supposedly in Tombstone, Arizona, I don't know, but you're familiar with it, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more, all right. So I don't know. I don't know. Again, I don't know if that's legitimate. And then here's a third one I thought was good. George, whatever his name is. I knew this was going to happen. So it made me think that, you know, when I, I need to, th- I need to think of something clever to go on my, uh, my marker. I mean, I'm not going to be there anymore. I want people to be able to enjoy that. But so death is inevitable. It, it is not something that we necessarily look forward to. It, it, in fact, there's a lot that we do to avoid it. But we're reminded that death is inevitable. And in verse 1 of chapter 12, this teacher says this, Remember your creator in the days of your youth. So I I thought a little bit about this idea of remember, remembering. And the Hebrew word here is is that very, it's to recall, to call to mind. Usually recalling something in order to affect or impact my present situation. So I'm reflecting. Reflect on your creator in the days of your youth, I believe would be a good and fair translation here. And so when we think about that, how do we, how do we remember our creator? So I want to start by speaking this morning to young people that might be here. Now, I'm not going to put an age. I'm going to let you determine whether you consider yourself young or old because that's just dangerous to 
tell you uh, that you're young or old, but young people, I, w- I want to speak to you first. And I want to tell you this, that at, at its best, life is challenging. Life is hard. Some of you are already experiencing the difficulties of life. You've experienced things in your life that you should not have experienced, that nobody should have to experience. And you're getting a, you have gotten a very real taste that life is hard. You're, you're bom- bombarded from every different direction. There are people, there are things, there are ideas that are, that are bombarding your mind and pulling you away from what is true and what is right. They are competing to have influence in your life. And I think sometimes it may be easier for us to say as young people, you know what? If that's just not important. Or I'm going to wait until uh, I'm older and I'll make a decision on that. We'll find it easier to, to hide our beliefs just to fit in with the world. And, and we don't want people to know what we believe because if they were to find out, they'll realize I believe differently. And that just creates a whole host of issues for me. And so it's easier just to avoid it or put off those decisions. But I want to suggest that what we need to do rather than avoid or hide or put off that decision is that we need to embrace the hard questions that life is bringing our way. Why is life the way it is? What is my purpose? Why, why am I here? These are questions that need to be embraced, need to be asked, need to be dealt with. This is not something that we, that we need to put off until crisis comes and then I'll make a decision on that. Friends, it's too late. So the teacher says to young people, remember your creator in the days of your youth. So how do I do that? How do I remember my creator? I would suggest that it, one way that we remember our creator is by making those foundational decisions for my life as early as possible. The conventional wisdom might be, you know what, I'll wait, I'll experience life to its fullest, quote unquote, and then I'll make a decision or then I'll get right with God or then I'll get serious about my faith. And I want to suggest that the, the way that we remember our creator in our youth is to make that decision, that foundational decision for our life early. Parents, I want to ask you just to think about this for a second. I have heard parents say, hey, we've done the best we can and we're going to, going to let our kids make their own choice about things. And I understand the sentiment of that. I understand the idea there that that eventually we all have to come to our own understanding of faith and I've got to own it for myself. That happened with me. But moms and dads, I would suggest that there is much more than just kind of modeling the truth and hoping they find their way. I would suggest that our responsibility as parents, as grandparents is to be intentional about what we are passing on to our kids. If we believe it is the truth, if we believe it's life transforming for us and that it is truly the way, the truth, the life, that it is worth fighting and for and push and pushing uh, our, our kids towards. I think we also remember our creator by establishing patterns of our life that will help us reach the goals that we have set for ourselves if it is to pursue a relationship with god that there are patterns for our life that we can that will help carry us and sustain us through 
that kind of walk with God. How we use our time, what we do with our minds. I would suggest that even the pattern of what you're doing right now, sitting where you are, being in church is a pattern that will serve you well as you are connected with God through worship, as you are connected with God's people. It is a pattern that will serve you well. And the reality is that you're establishing patterns in your life whether you know it or not. Whether you're being intentional about it or not, there are patterns that are being established in your life that you will carry on for the rest of your life. So I would encourage you to establish patterns that are going to help you get to where you believe God wants you to be and that are going to help you to remember your creator in the days of your youth. So let me speak to the not so young. Is it really any different? Is it really any different? I believe the same principles apply, that there are patterns that we must establish. The problem that we have as older people is that we've got some deeply ingrained patterns, right? Deeply ingrained patterns, deeply ingrained ways of thinking. And so when we encounter something that maybe needs to change, it is easier to push back against it than it is to say, you know what? I need to make an adjustment. I need to change this pattern in my life. But that really... The principle is no different. As we grow older, we need to establish patterns that are going to help us love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we lay a firm foundation in the person of Jesus. That we build on that foundation. That it is not something that we go onto autopilot and say, hey, I've, I, I've been a believer for 40, 50, 60 years. I've got it figured out. That we're always growing. We're always learning. We're always challenging. Those patterns continue. Throughout our life. One of the prayers for myself is that I would grow old with grace and understanding. That I would recognize God's work in me. That I would recognize God's work around me. That I would have a heart to follow Jesus faithfully. And make God my first priority all the way through my life. All the way through my life. So why do we remember our creator? If, if as young people and as old people, the challenge is to remember our creator, why do we need to do this? This is where it gets real. Verse 1 goes on to say, we remember the creator, our creator in the days of our youth because there are difficult days coming. And the preacher, the teacher reminds us here that there are challenging, difficult days on their way. And these difficult days vary by age, they vary by personality, they vary by circumstances. Some of you can attest to very challenging, difficult times that have come into your life. And here's the thing we know for sure. We never, we never know when life is going to go sideways. Some of you could tell stories of how your life was moving in a particular direction, all was well, and man, it took a left turn that you never saw coming. Never saw coming. So we remember the Creator in the days of our youth because we never know what life has for us. But there is one thing that we know for sure, that death is approaching. In verse 2 through 8, what we've got here, if you look back at that, is a Hebrew poem. I suspect that when you read that, you were much like me. When I read that for the first time, I'm like, I don't have a clue what that is even really talking about. I mean, it sounds lovely, and it's, and it's, a, it's a great 
set of Bible verses, but as I was looking at it, I, I go, I'm not really sure what this means. But might it help you if I told you that this Hebrew poem is actually a poem about the approaching end of your life? And when I started looking at it that way, it started to make a lot more sense. So let's look at this together. He says in verse 2 that uh, we need to remember the, our creator before the sun, the light, and the moon, and the stars grow dark. And then he goes on to say this. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down. Some of you can att- attest to the fact that as you're growing older, maybe you're not quite as stable with your hands anymore. Your hands have started to shake. Your, your back isn't as strong as it used to be. Maybe, it's, maybe you used to be six foot tall. And now you find that you're 5'10". So as we grow older, gravity begins to work on us. We begin to stoop lower. Our legs are not as strong as they used to be. He goes on to say, the grinders cease because they are few. What might that be referring to? My teeth. Some people don't have as many as they used to have. So I don't chew the same way that I used to chew. Grinders cease. The windows grow dim. My eyes begin to... Mine started quite a few years ago. I don't see without my glasses very well. The sound of grinding fades. The doors to the street are closed. My ears, I don't hear as well. Some of you can attest to that. When people rise at the sound of the birds, sometimes sleep is not as, doesn't come as easy as it used to. When we opened this building, however many years ago that was, 15, 14, 15 years ago, one of the things we did in here, some of you will remember, is that we decided that as soon as the sound system was set up, that we would, the first thing that we wanted to have come over the speakers in this room was the Word of God. So we were going to read from Genesis to Revelation nonstop. And so we had people sign up to come and take a 15 or 20 minute block to read over the microphone in this room. It was awesome. But the, the challenge was, of course, it was going to take us about two and a half days. And so we needed people to sign up at different times of the day. So I had a little chart figured out and had people signing up. <clears throat> and so I'd look at it when people started signing up. And the two, to two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning time slot, these neat old ladies were signed up for two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what the heck? So I, I talked to one of my, are you sure you understood that's, that's 2 a.m.? She goes, hey, I'm awake anyway. I might as well be down here doing, doing this. I, like, I thought, oh, man, I just can't imagine. I love my sleep. I love my sleep. I mean, anyway. But so some of you can identify that sleep does not come as, as, as quite as easily as it used to, or you don't sleep as soundly as you used to sleep. It says when people are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets. So a lot of times as we grow older, we become much more cautious, maybe more fearful of what's happening around us. And so we maybe stay closer to the house or stay in the house. We're much more cautious about life. When the almond tree blossoms, we're just coming through this time. So what does that refer to? 
Man, my hair is turning white. If you've seen an almond tree in full blossom, great illustration, Solomon. Awesome. So when I'm getting older, my, my hair starts turning white. The grasshopper drags itself along. Here is an energetic insect that was full of energy, and he's now picturing it just kind of dragging its feet along the ground. As we get older, our energy is not what it used to be. And finally, he says, the desire is no longer stirred. I'm glad he said this one to the end. It gives us hope that that sexual desire maybe is the last thing to go. So if we were going to contemporize this, and this is not true of every old, older person, but I believe we can identify with this. And if we were going to contemporize this poem, we might include illustrations like, I've got to schedule my cataract surgery, or hey, I just turned 50, it's time for my colonoscopy, <laughs> or my... my my knees are bothering me. It's time for a knee replacement. So as great as our technology is, and it is fantastic, we can get dental implants. We can get glasses. We can get our eyes adjusted with surgery. We can get new joints. The reality is all it's doing is filling a gap. It is not, it is not uh, eliminating the inevitability of our demise, right? I mean, we're on our way to that. We can, we can do all these things to try to stave it off, but it, the, the reality is those issues are going to continue to haunt us. That's the reality of us growing old. And so these are subtle, or, or in some cases not so subtle, reminders that we are getting old. This, and this, by the way, is not a critique. This is not a critique of, of older people. This is Solomon saying, this is what all of us have coming. It's coming our way. And so as we, as we work through this with him, he goes a little bit further. In verses 6 through 8, he says, Remember your creator before the silver cord is severed, before the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. This is getting serious now. This is, many people feel the silver cord is our spinal cord, that our back gives out on us that the golden bowl is our mind that our mind begins to go that the pitcher shattered at the spring is and the wheel at the well is our heart so our organs begin to fail us and he ends the poem with the reminder that the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit goes to the god who gave it sorry Death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. And so when we think about this, and as the teacher reflected on this, he finishes this with this. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. If you're putting your hope and your meaning on what you accomplish in your own life and in your own effort, you need to be reminded that it is never going to satisfy. It is futile. As I was thinking about futility this week, I was thinking about, I'm not a huge, huge baseball fan, but my man Chris Davis for the Baltimore Orioles has been the study of futility. Those of you that watch that, the season started 
a week and a half ago. I don't know how many games the Orioles have played, but uh, Chris set a record, a major league record, by going 54 at-bats without getting a base hit until last night. He finally got his first hit. So you think about that. I don't know Chris Davis. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. But I do know that if I'm putting my hope in what I can accomplish in my career, I'm reminded by even looking at that example that that, that it's, it's futile. There is no real hope and meaning that's found in what I can accomplish in this world. And so the, the teacher's reminding us that. But here's my question. Why do we continue to do it? Why do we put so much meaning or expectation into this life? Why do we do that? Is it possible that we are in some way hardwired to have meaning in this life? That something deep inside of us is pushing us to find deeper meaning in our life? And I would answer yes. I would suggest that we were not created initially by God to die. That death is a result of sin in our life. And so it is an anomaly. It is not something that we, we should naturally expect to happen. And so we're searching for meaning uh, in our life. And apart from a relationship with God, we're never going to find it. Because that, that hope for eternity is what gives us Meaning, Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, not a Christian, by the way. I want you to listen to what Viktor Frankl says in one of his books. He says, this striving to find meaning in one's life is the primary motivational force in man. This striving to find meaning in one's life is the primary motivational force in man. I think the meaning of our existence is not invented by ourselves but rather detected. Even Viktor Frankl knows that there's no meaning inside of myself. There's no meaning that I can find in what I do. That it's something I've got to detect outside of myself. He never found that. But I would suggest that as we come into a relationship with God through Jesus, that that is what infuses our life with meaning. It is not something we create within ourselves. It is something that God brings into our life. This is what creates space, I believe, for the gospel. It creates even a reason why our proclamation and our telling of the story of the gospel becomes so important because I believe people all around us are looking, searching for meaning in their life. And if we have the answer, it's incumbent upon us to share that answer with the people around us. So death is inevitable. Secondly, this morning, God can be trusted. In verses 9 through 14, we have now, we're coming back away from the voice of the teacher back to our author. So let me take you back to chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to pick up at verse 9 with uh, the author of the book who has been allowing the the teacher to speak for 11 chapters, he finishes with this, beginning at verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words 
and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making, of, of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or it is evil. God can be trusted. I want to suggest, first of all, that God's word can be trusted. When we think about the word of God, the Bible, it has the ability supernaturally to reveal God to us, to connect us in a greater way to God in heaven as we reflect on it, as we study, as we read. It's a powerful tool. And it's part of what transforms these horizontal relationships. As we increase our vertical connection with God by his word, it transforms our lives and our relationships with other people. And it says here that the, the teacher pondered and searched and set, his, set in order his proverbs. And I, I believe that this is how we should approach the word of God. That we should ponder it. That we should reflect on it. That we should search it. That we should... Put it, put it in an orderly, orderly way. Study it in our life. This is not just something that is to sit on a shelf. It's something to, to have an intimate role in our life. And so we need to spend time in it. God's word is, as the author has said, like goads. Like goads, it says. The words of the wise are like goads. Does anyone know what a goad is? A goad is a sharp stick that is used to prod animals in a particular direction you want them to go. So if you have a pet or if you work with animals, you know there are times that they have a mind of their own and they need to be reminded that they need to go this way. Some, I'm sure, fall in line pretty well. Others need a goad. They need to be prodded a little bit. And I believe that God's word many times functions... As a goad, I would even suggest that Ecclesiastes has been, in a sense, a goad in our life just to remind us that our search for meaning, we have a tendency to get sidetracked and to move in a direction that uh, maybe is not going to provide the most meaning in our life. In fact, the uh, prophet Isaiah says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And so we need somebody to prod us to goad us in the direction he wants us to go. The word of God functions as a goad in our life. He also says that the words of the wise are like firmly embedded nails. These well-driven, these firmly embedded nails were probably more like spikes. Probably our author here is speaking of tent spikes that were holding tents and dwellings together, providing stability in a storm. And so when we think about that, God's word functions that way as well. If we will listen to the truth of it, if we will allow it to impact our life, it will give us something to hold on to. In light of the fact that we said way back at the beginning that, that life is like a vapor. We try to grab a hold of it, and it's like smoke. We try to just 
grab it, there's nothing there. It's a meaningless life. But God and his word is a tent stake that we can hold on to, that we can tie our life to, that is going to give our life meaning. So God's word can be trusted. God's presence can be trusted as well. And I want you to think about this for a minute. If, if we were to move, remove the reality of God out of this life, where would we find meaning? What would you be left with? How would you determine what is true? Do you create your own? Would you create your own truth? Would you create your own meaning? Would it be whatever seems good to you? Does this sound familiar? This is a way a lot of people are approaching their life. Am I just a cosmic accident? Or does my life have some kind of meaning beyond myself? Even when I can't understand circumstances and situations, things happen in my life that I can't explain, that don't make sense, that don't seem fair, I still have to believe God's presence and trust God's presence in my life. David Fitch, who is a person that I follow uh, a lot, read a couple of his books. In one of his books, he makes this statement. I think it's on the screen. I believe that God is present in the world and that he uses people faithful to his presence to make himself concrete and real amid the world's struggles and pain. So I believe this, that God is present in this world through us as his church. That as we go out into this world and as we, if we believe that God is present in our life, that we are the presence of God to the people around us. And so as people struggle, as they encounter an unfair life, as their life makes a left turn when they thought it was going to turn right, we can be the presence of God in their life. We can be a, a thing, a helpful place for, the, for them to tie their life to. This is what gives our life meaning. And in the end, the teacher says, he makes one final concluding statement. Listen to it again. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. And this echoes to me some things that Jesus himself said. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus made a concluding summary statement that sounded like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus also said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are sounding very similar to me. This is not something that is drifting far from the central pages of what the Bible is about. Seek God and trust his presence in our life. And then lastly, God's presence can be trusted. His word can be trusted. His presence can be trusted. His promises can be trusted. And woven throughout the biblical narrative is promise after promise that God has given. You look through the Old Testament, and then you can watch them fulfilled in the New Testament. And there's a few promises that we ourselves are faithfully waiting for God to fulfill. But God's promises can be trusted. And as we move this week from this Sunday morning through this week approaching Easter, probably the greatest promise that we can think in the pages of Scripture is that God promised us a Savior. A Messiah, 
one that would come and offer us a restored relationship with him, forgiveness of our sin. And so as we think specifically this week and we remember his death on Friday and we come here next week and we celebrate his resurrection, this is a promise fulfilled. It is the promise that gives us hope. That Jesus suffered and died on Friday and was victorious over death by his resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. This is what we claim. And this is what provides meaning for this life. And finally this morning, the sooner that we realize this, the better. The sooner we realize this, the better. So God, we are grateful. We're grateful for the truth of the inevitability of death we god so often we do whatever we can to avoid it so often it comes at a an untimely place in our life but we recognize that it is inevitable and god we also believe that you can be trusted when we are confused and when we don't understand what you're doing, we can trust that you love us, that you know our circumstances and you want to walk with us through us, through it. And God, I'm grateful for the answer you provided to, for meaning in our life, that it is as we come into a relationship with you, we can cease from striving, cease from trying to create our own meaning and recognize that you can provide our life with meaning as we, as we know you as Savior. So this morning, I don't know where you, where you stand as you uh, sit here, but it's possible that this is your first time here or it's also possible that as we've walked through this time in Ecclesiastes, you have... I've been reminded time and time again that you need to recognize that you can't do it in your own strength. And so I want to uh, remind you, as we do each week, that the first thing that you need to do is acknowledge your own inability. You need need to admit that you are a sinner, that there is a need in your life, that you can't do it in your own strength. Secondly, you need to believe That God sent Jesus. We celebrate it at Christmas and we remember it at Easter that he sent Jesus to be our Savior, to die, to offer forgiveness for our sin, and that he was raised again, that we can have new life in him, and that that we commit our life, that we choose to follow him with our life. And you can do that this morning by offering up a prayer very similar to that. That you admit, that you believe, that you choose to follow him with your life. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that it goads us many times and we're uncomfortable. But thank you, God, that it is also a firmly embedded nail that we can hang on to. That it gives our life purpose and meaning. God, we love you and we thank you for your reality in our life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, we want you to have a great week. If, if you've got a question about our, your relationship with God, if you want to, to talk 
uh, to somebody or pray with somebody, I will be here at the front. I would love to talk to you about that. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you Friday night, 7 o'clock.